So my first question is whether we can both fit in the pulpit at the same time. So I'm <laughs> I, didn't eat, I didn't eat much last night. There so. you go. And we've got our team blue on. So um, as a member of this church, I'm going to say thank you, Brad, for being here. And you and I go way, way back. And you were the one who had originally brought Toxic Charity to Rockford five or six years ago. I am personally responsible for all <laughs> Toxic Charity. <laughs> Do you want to tell a little bit about the book and, mm -hmm. and what you had done? Sure. Um, there are two books, Toxic Charity and, interestingly, Charity Detox. <laughs> the author is a friend of mine, Bob Lupton, and I've told him that he can't write another book because he's out of words. There's no other way to put charity and detox together. So. Um, First of all, I want to thank you. I, I want to thank you, Linda. I want to thank the congregation for uh, inviting me to be here today. Uh, I do not want to thank you, Matthew, for asking me to do this 11 months ago. Had I been a woman, I could have conceived and given birth and considered preschools during that period of time. But, you know, no. So don't do that again. I have actually practiced this sort of talk with other people, inflicted my thoughts on them for the last year just because of you. So, um, you know, this is a huge topic. And uh, if you look at, uh, I am a Lutheran Christian, and uh, I like what Jesus has to say when someone asked him, what's the most important stuff? And he said, love God and love your neighbor. That's it. Everything else is consumed with those two commandments. Uh, some people would say they're sort of suggestions. Jesus would disagree. And so this has been a consuming thought for me and topic for the better part of my professional life. And you're right, it is complicated. However, after this morning's children's reading, Linda and I looked at each other and said, well, we're done. <laughs> so we'll just let everybody get out 20 minutes early. And then Joe spoke up, and <laughs> I thought I knew what Linda was thinking. Yeah, we yeah, are done. done. <laughs> we are done. So, you know, thank you for that. I, I uh, brought a little handout sheet. Many of you have it here. I didn't think there'd be so darn many of you, so I only made 100, but maybe you could share. And it really gives the basics, and so I won't touch on that. And then Linda and I actually did sort of plan this, so we'll go back and forth a little bit, but just a little background on it. What Bob Lupton would say, what he says in this book is that uh, if charity is for a crisis situation, chronic poverty, chronic problems require development, not ongoing charity because that's not sustainable. In Charity Detox, he defines that development concept much more thoroughly and provides the on-ramp, which, since I know his life and know what he's done, he spent his, all of his professional life uh, doing mixed-income neighborhood development at a very large scale. And he and his wife, Peggy, actually his two wives, Peggy, he lost his first wife to cancer and married another Peggy, I guess, you know. <laughs> one. I'd rather drive a Ford than push a Chevy. You just kind of stick with what you know. <clears throat> but he, uh, he lived in the neighborhood where he served. Interestingly, um, 
Peggy, his first Peggy, died of cancer. And when she died, at, at, when she, before she died, when she was very sick, uh, the neighbors came with food. Now, these neighbors were poor. And he had reached out to them, loaned them his lawnmower, loaned them his car, and heaven forbid, let them use his table saw. <laughs> but they were there for him and Peggy when she was sick. Because that, this was not a program. This was not a project. These were neighbors. And Bob would be quick to say that programs don't end poverty. Neighbors end poverty. And so I'm going to skip to the end of all I have to say. I'm going to skip all of, all of this. <laughs> and I'm going to say that when Jesus said, as a wise person, love God and love your neighbor, we often think of that as what I call a reach-in event. We reach in to the lives of those folks who we perceive as in need, make our sandwiches and distribute them without asking whether they're needed. We invent programs because wouldn't this be a good idea? And I think this, the solution that Bob uh, typified and that he exemplified and, and uh, so on was to just be a neighbor. So he created neighborhoods, worked in neighborhoods, and lived next to those that he served. So I would encourage you and your congregation to seriously consider over the next six to nine to 12 months, ha ha, ha <laughs> <laughs> just thought of that. So the you know, shoes on the other foot now, Matthew. Uh, how you could support some of your members who may feel called to move into neighborhoods where the people are not like them, either ethnically or economically. Would you like me to say that again? Yes. Move. We have created poverty in some measure because out of sight, out of mind. We don't live next to those who are in need we, how can we understand their needs? Sue and I moved into the Midtown neighborhood 11 years ago. And after working in that neighborhood for all those years, I was profoundly changed. I understood the neighborhood, and we are coming to understand the neighborhood in a lot different and better ways, including what's wonderful about it. Mostly the neighbors, but also Jean's, which serves Guinness. <laughs> but... The point is, is that I don't think, you know, Peter Provenzano, who is the owner of Supply Corps, once challenged all of us United Way people, a bunch of us, and said, you people, I always hate when people start that way, you people haven't moved the needle much. I wanted, I had 11 months to do this and didn't do it. Procrastination is a gift for me. But I wanted to create a map of Rockford 50 years ago and a map of Rockford today by block group subsections of census tracts to show what's happened in terms of where the wealth has gone. And have we, have we as the whole country has done, have we separated ourselves out by wealth, by socioeconomic and racial status? Because the whole country certainly has, hugely. Look at the YouTube video by Dr. 
Manuel Pastor, a, a demographer and sociologist from UCLA. Well, I think we've done it here too. Actually, the wealth has left Rockford and has moved into Caledonia. When we do that, we cannot possibly be effective in our charity, regardless of how smart we are or how good our programs are. We need to make people our neighbors. Sue and I probably didn't do this as well as we might have, because we did it kind of alone. I'm, I'm connected with Zion Church, and I'm grateful we are connected, and we spent all day yesterday with them. Uh, but the point is, is that best if you're supported by a congregation, by a community of people, not all of whom necessarily feel called to do that, but some of them do, and the rest of you say, you guys be the white blood, blood cells attacking the infection. That's really a bad image because it suggests it vilifies poverty. I'm sorry to have sort of said that, but we'll be the support team. We'll be, we'll be behind you and we'll be actively supporting you as you make the adjustment. And maybe that's a good way to go. It's not a simple thing. Thousands and thousands of people are doing this all over the United States. And I can give you information on that. So that's my part. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to kind of address what Joe said. So, um, you know, I do work for United Way. So um, I think one of the things that can be toxic is not understanding what charities do. And um, I'm not going to say whether the Goodwill CEO makes $3 million a, a year or not. I do think, I, I think all of this is very, very complicated, right? So I can tell you that the worldwide CEO of United Way, I think makes about a million or a million and a half, which sounds like a lot of money because all of United Way's money is coming from everybody's pocket, right? But let's consider that that's an organization that brings in $4.5 billion a year. What corporate America company would we ever say where the CEO should not be making a million dollars? I just want to throw that out there as some food for thought. I'm also going to tell you a story, Joe, that's going to make you never want to give us. <laughs> but this is, this is really toxic charity at its best, and I take responsibility for this. So about five years ago, United Way started on the west side of Rockford a walking school bus. What we found out is that over by Lewis Lemon and Ellis Schools, children are truant or um, they're getting there late a lot of times because it's unsafe walking conditions. Sidewalks aren't shoveled. Uh, it's dark in the morning during the winter and kids just were not going to school. So we partnered with Youth Services Network, the YMCA and the Housing Authority and hired a person who is at um, Fairgrounds um, Community Center every morning and 10, 12, 15 kids gathered there in the morning. Their parents may drop them off there. And then this person who is paid by United Way walks these kids to school. Truancy has gone down, absenteeism has gone down, kids are there getting a warm breakfast and they are ready for the school day. That's awesome, right? That is really, really empowering these children and making sure we educate them. 
here's where we got toxic. So one of our um, business organizations that we work with heard about the walking school bus and said, wow, that is great. You know, I bet those kids, because they live on the west side of Rockford and live in the housing um, authority, probably don't have winter coats. So let's have a drive and get them winter coats. So they ran a drive at their business. They got winter coats. It's early December. We decide we're going to have this big party for these kids. We get to the housing authority at about 6.37 in the morning when the kids gather there. We bring in a hot breakfast for them because that's what we do. We got to feed these people. And the company has gotten winter coats. And you know how, I mean, they're little kids' winter coats, but they're still big, right? So they put them in big gift bags. The kids get there. We're so proud of ourselves. We're going to be distributing these coats to kids. Every single child who was there except one had on a very new-looking, serviceable winter coat. And we distributed these coats to the kids in these big gift bags, and they then had to carry that to school on their walk, on the walking school bus, store it all day, and then go home and tell their parents where they got this winter coat from. That's toxic charity at its best. But Joe, we've learned from that. <laughs> Think about United Way next time you're thinking about charity. I'm just throwing that out there. But you know, uh, it, Brad and I talked about how complicated this is. And I was even thinking this morning, Jesus said, if somebody asks you for your shirt, give him your cloak also. And I was, and I'm thinking, Brad, how do we explain this to people then? Jesus tells us this. Jesus says, you know, when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you visited me in prison, or, you know, a person, that was me. How do we explain toxic charity then to people who just want to do good? Um, so it is very complicated. I would recommend reading these books. I would recommend listening and, and, and thinking about what Brad says, that there are better ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ready to get up and move, maybe think about other ways mm -hmm. that you can influence and work with people who need your help. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just another point that I want to make, and, I, and again, Brad and I had lunch together and talked about this. One of the things that drives me crazy in this community is how many drives there are for school supplies. If you pay attention this fall, everybody is collecting backpacks and school supplies and just giving them to kids. And what that does is takes the power and the engagement away from parents. Then we complain that parents are not engaged with their kids. Mm. Another United Way story, we um, do a lot of work at Byer School. And one of my staff members was working there and came back middle of the winter and said, can we um, free up a little money, I don't know, 50, $100 to buy crayons for the kids at Byer School because it's the middle of the school year, all the crayons are broken or lost, you know, and, and I've heard from the school secretary that um, they need some new ones. And I said, well, aren't there parents at the school? Well, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of them live in the Black Hawk Housing Authority. Well, has anybody asked them? 
if maybe they want to donate some crayons for their children, has a note been sent home? And it amazed me and really made me think, we make assumptions about people and then we disengage them from their own future. So that's my soapbox today. Brad wants you to move. I, wa <laughs> I want you to think very critically about these things and how we give people things. Mm -hmm. We should be, you know, and both you and I agree, you know, we should be, and, and you had the monk story, you know, we know that we have an overabundance of things and that we mm -hmm. should be giving to other people. Yeah. I think we need to think really critically about how we do that. Yeah. We've got time for a little bit. Okay, so, because, uh, you know, there's no clock here, so... <laughs> In the Lutheran church, if you preach for 20 minutes, you're good. If you preach for 25, you should consider another vocation, <laughs> another call. So you've heard the expression, give a person a fish and they eat for a day. Teach them to fish and they eat for a lifetime. The third part, depends who owns the pond. Right? Depends on who owns the pond. So George Lakey, who is the author of, of uh, Viking Economics, How the Scandinavians Got It Right and How We Can Too. By the way, George will be coming to Rockford in mid-April uh, and holding a, uh, a workshop with, uh, on uh, how to do nonviolent protest as it relates to race, racism and the uh, environment. But George poked my chest one night, poked me in the chest. He's like 6'3", is 10 years on me. We were up in our unit because he said he'd rather stay with us when he spoke in 2017 uh, on the book. And he poked me in the chest, and I was shocked by that. And it, this is what happened. This is how it happened. He was saying he teaches at Swarthmore College, and he said, I, I uh, am sad that the Gateses, Bill and Melinda Gates, are trying to defund the liberal arts education at Swarthmore. And I said, that just doesn't, that doesn't comport with what I understand about them. They, their foundations are targeted. They spend a lot of time listening to people and so on. And, and then he poked his fingers in my chest and he said, Brad, that is such a dodge. That is such a dodge. These are two of the richest people in the world. You don't think they can influence public policy to change the circumstances on the ground so it doesn't depend on their foundation's charity? I'd spent 40 years of my life in the not-for-profit world chasing fewer dollars for greater needs. And it had never occurred to me so starkly until that moment that the fundamental issue is that we have an economy that disenfranchises the poor. Now, we chose it. So my, my thought is, let's create our own darn economy. Let's hire our neighbors. Let's, let's have a more barter. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Let's let people have things at a discounted price, even if it costs us more. Let's shop locally. But we're going to have to create an economy that really includes the poor as partners, as neighbors. 
and stop this business of waiting for Superman from Washington, D.C. or Springfield, Illinois to fix it. It ain't going to happen, and it's not going to happen fast enough, even if it did. I don't disregard the impact of public policy, but we cannot wait or depend on, on that. So the other uh, piece of that, I guess, is that this stuff is complicated, like Linda and I agree, and we're, like Linda was saying. And I think that in order to address it, we have to get a lot smarter, a lot smarter in how we do this stuff. Too many silos, too little collective impact, things that we know how to do, but not enough of us share that information. Um, being charitable is never wrong under any circumstance unless there's another and better option. So I think always what George taught me was what's the other option besides just being charitable? How can we be partners with our neighbors? Okay, definitely do after the same